As we've gathered here on this beautiful Lord's Day, uh, it is uh, evident that spring is here. And some have been dealing with the overwhelming abundance of pollen over the last several weeks, and so that's not been pleasant. But on the bright side, we have sunlight this year. Well, last spring, we couldn't really say that very much. But we know that light causes growth, and we also know one benefit of light is that it cheers seasonal depression that some deal with. We are in the midst now of a sermon series entitled The Hebrew Hymn Book as we are looking at book 2 of the Psalms, chapter 42 through 72. And just as earthly light causes growth and cheers depression, even more so, the light of God's Word causes us to grow, and it also lifts up our souls as well. Indeed, find power necessary for redemption and revival in the revealed Word of God. This morning, if you have gathered and you are listening and you are not saved, you can find the redemption that you need only in the revealed Word of God. But today, perhaps you are a Christian and you are dealing with depression. You are in the midst of a dark season in your life. You can find the revival that is necessary also in the revealed Word of God. I want to ask you to stand along with me this morning as I will be reading from Psalm 43. The psalmist writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out your light and your truth, Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him the help of my countenance and my God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come before you this morning realizing that you are the maker of all things. You are the creator. You are the sustainer. We also know from your word that you are the redeemer. And Lord, as we come together today to open up your word, perhaps we are in a season of life that is dark and difficult or depressing. Perhaps today we can relate to the words of the psalmist. I pray if that is the case, then Lord, let your truth be the light that guides us to where we need to be spiritually, emotionally, physically. Perhaps, Lord, this morning we are in a place of of sunlight and think that we do not need this word but Lord I know that in this life there come troubles and I pray that this psalm will be recalled in our minds and our hearts in those days ahead we thank you God that you love us we thank you that we can come to you and be brutally honest 
about our situations, but above all, we thank you that we can come to you and find redemption and revival in your word. Heavenly Father, exalt Jesus today through the preaching of your word. In his name we do pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Just like last week in Psalm 42, today we have what is known as a song of lament. An individual crying out to God when there is nowhere else to turn. Indeed, there are a great deal of similarities between Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Psalm 43 is the only one found in book 2 of the Psalms without an inscription at the top of it. And there are, in fact, a lot of shared words and, and there is a common refrain that came twice in Psalm 42 and again at the end of Psalm 43. And this has led some to speculate that originally Psalm 42 and 43 were one song and that somewhere down the road somebody split the two. But I think a, a more preferable view about the two Psalms is this. It's the same author but Psalm 43 perhaps was written at a later time upon reflecting. It was an appendix that the author chose to come back to and deal with Psalm 42 in a different way. In fact, Psalm 43 is different because in it we have two petitions. Psalm 42, the psalmist was talking about God and in fact the psalmist was talking to God and, and questioning God. But in Psalm 42... The author did not ask God to do anything specific. But then we come to Psalm 43 and we see two requests that are made. Perhaps he has discovered the antidote to his original despondency. Perhaps reflecting upon his words in Psalm 42, God brought him out of that and now he is writing how he found hope and how he found encouragement. And now he is writing and sharing that with his audience. And by God's grace, he is sharing that with us today. The first thing we see in this song today is a cry of desperation. Verses 1 and 2, a cry of desperation. And it's not unusual for believers to battle depression. We spoke about that last week. A common mistake that some have is that, well, if I'm truly a Christian, I should never feel that. I should never be depressed. I should never go through seasons of darkness of the soul. And that's just not true. Plenty of examples through church history. Plenty of examples in the Scriptures. Plenty of examples in the Psalms. And we have one today. A believer with a cry of desperation. Perhaps like the psalmist today, our desperation comes from social struggles. We know we live in a fallen world where sin pervades every aspect of humanity. And one of the ways sin affects us is through social relationships. Even at the deepest level of husband and wife or, or parent and child or brother and sister, even sometimes church members, co-workers, there are social struggles because sin gets in the way and keeps us from getting along the way that we need to. Here's our first petition right off the bat in verse 1. The psalmist says, Vindicate me, O God. I am innocent here. Plead my case against an ungodly nation. 
It says, God, you know my heart. You know that, that I am seeking to do your will and, and now I'm being persecuted by someone ungodly, someone without a relationship with you, someone outside of your will. Vindicate me, God. I, I, am, a, I am a believer and I need you, God, to step in for me. Deliver me, he goes on to say, from the deceitful and unjust man. It's not surprising that the ungodly will act unjustly. When someone is out of fellowship with God, that's often seen in the way they treat others. And the psalmist here is, is battling this social struggle. Someone is coming against him unjustly. And he is crying out to God in desperation, God, I need you to intervene here. I need your help. Then he goes on to speak about spiritual struggles. Today, maybe your relationship is not necessarily with another individual, but perhaps your issue this morning is with God. The psalmist speaks about that here in verse 2. He says, For you are the God of my strength. Why is he pleading for God to vindicate him? Why is he asking for God to deliver him? Because he has a relationship with God. Because God is His salvation. Because God is His strength. You are the God of my strength. I trust in You. I have confidence in You. I am allowing You to fight my battle for me. I'm not rising up against this one who is persecuting me. I'm letting You do that for me. You are the God of my strength. He is confident in God's sufficiency, but yet there is some confusion. There's a disconnect between what he knows and what he feels. You are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? God, I feel as though you've turned your back on me. I, I feel like you are not aware of what's going on to me, what's going on with me. I feel as though you, you're not paying attention to what this ungodly man is doing to me. God, I feel as though you have rejected me. I'm saved, but yet I'm suffering. And it makes no sense. And so the psalmist is questioning God, why? Why have you rejected me? You are supposed to be my strength. But right now, I don't feel very strong. What is going on? In moments like that, the temptation is to doubt. Well, maybe I'm not really saved. Or maybe God just doesn't really care about me as much as I would like to think He does. Because if He did, then why would this be happening? Is that you today? Has that ever been you in your life? If you're completely honest with yourself, have you ever had that mentality? God, I'm supposed to be your child. Why am I suffering? Why have you rejected me? The psalmist here is taking issue with God. Social struggles, spiritual struggles, sorrowful struggles. You know, the way that God has created us, mind, body, and soul are all interconnected. When you don't feel well physically, doesn't it affect you emotionally? even spiritually? 
Or when you're not doing well emotionally, doesn't, doesn't it physically drain you? Doesn't stress and anxiety take its toll on your body too? And you see it's all woven together and the psalmist here is thinking about the oppression of his enemy. He's thinking about the fact he feels like God is forsaking him and now he is wallowing in his depression. He says, why do I go mourning, grieving because of the oppression of the enemy? The satanic adversary seeks every opportunity he can to discourage you. He points to everything going wrong in your life as evidence that God does not care about you. Every situation or circumstance that is undesirable in your life, the enemy will come and point to that and tempt you to despair. And say, I thought God was supposed to be your rock and your strength. I thought you were supposed to be a child of the king. Then, then why? Look, God's rejected you. God's abandoned you. You've out the grace of God now. The enemy will take every opportunity to lead you to mourn over your situation and your circumstance. I mentioned at the beginning that even spiritual giants of church history have dealt with the subject of spiritual depression. One such event happened in the life of Martin Luther, the great reformer that many credit with starting the Reformation of the 1500s. One day Luther was, was overwhelmed by his situation in life. The, the Pope and the Catholic Church had, were coming against him. And he was dealing with all of the, the issues and the struggles of, of trying to stand firm on what he believed was the truth of God's Word. And all of the enemies were coming against him. And, and he was in a deep, dark season of depression. And his wife was trying her hardest to bring him out of that but nothing was seeming to work. To one day, while he was in his room and sulking, his wife comes in and, and she's wearing all black. She's wearing a funeral garment. And Luther was surprised and taken back by that. And he said, I didn't know anybody had died. Whose funeral is it? To which his wife responded, Well, by the way you're acting, God has died. And I thought it appropriate to wear funeral clothes. <laughs> it woke him up to think, when we act this way, when we mourn and when we wallow in our depression because of our circumstances, are we not communicating that somehow God is not alive? That God is dead? That God is no longer there for us? And we're abandoned, we're all alone, and we're orphaned now? The cry of desperation is followed up next, thankfully for the psalmist and for us, with a call for direction. The psalmist knows where to turn for guidance in the dark when he does not know what lies before him. He does not know how he will get out of this cave of despondency where everything is dark and discouraging. He gives a call for direction to God. We see that in verse 3. There is a requesting of the Lord. Here is our next petition. 
The first one was, God, vindicate me. God, bring justice to me. The second petition of this psalm, Oh, send out your light and your truth. God, I need your light to guide me through this dark season. I need your truth to remind me who you are and that you are not dead. And I need your truth to remind me that I am your child. You have not rejected me. You've not forsaken me. Send out your light and your truth. What is the light and what is the truth? The psalmist said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. And what? A light to my path. The light to the path. It doesn't illuminate the whole path. It just illuminates the step you're about to take next. Thy word is a light unto my path. And so for the psalmist to say, God, send your light, what he is petitioning to God is, God, remind me of what your word says. Your light, send your light and your truth. What is truth? Jesus said in John 17, Thy word is truth. So for the psalmist to call for direction, he is calling for the revealed Word of God to change his heart and to change his mind. Even when the situation and the circumstance is not changed, we can't always change that. But we can change the way we react. And oftentimes it takes the light and the truth of God's Word to do that for us takes faith. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith, both saving faith and sustaining faith. If you do not have a relationship with God and you have no light and you have no truth, God's Word brings that to you. It gives you the faith that you need. If you are a believer and you need to be revived, you need to be sustained, God's Word is faith for you. Faith, it comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. Jerry Bridges said, don't believe everything you think. You cannot be trusted to tell yourself the truth. Stay in the Word. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. I'm not going to lead myself out of this. I've got to humbly acknowledge I need you, God. Lead me with your light and your truth. The written Word of God and the living Word of God. Jesus Christ. The requesting of the Lord is followed by a responding to the Lord. Verse 3 goes on to say, Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill. Let the truth of your word bring me into your presence. Let me find access to the throne room of God, the holy hill, the mountain of God. Let your word be the key to the door that brings me into your presence. What you have said, let that usher me into your presence, God. Let them bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling places. God, where you are, let your word usher me into your presence. And then I will go to the altar of God. Remember, we believe in Psalm 42, the situation 
of the psalmist was he was he was outside of Jerusalem, perhaps driven out for whatever reason. Physically was not there where the altar of God was. And he's saying, God, bring me back to your altar. For us as Christians, what is the altar? We no longer have a, a, a altar where we sacrifice animals, do we? But Jesus is our sacrifice. The cross of Christ is our altar. So when you find yourself despairing, you find yourself depressed and overwhelmed by your situation, and you're saying, God, let Your Word remind me that Christ died for me. Let Your truth show me that Jesus loved me enough to give His life for me. That while I was yet a sinner, Christ died in my place. Remind me, Lord, of the cross of Jesus. Bring me back to the altar. Bring me back to the foot of the cross of my Savior who loves me so. Then I will go to the altar. I will respond to Christ and His altar. And then I will lay myself upon the altar as what? A living sacrifice. I will live myself, live my life in such a way that I myself reflect the truth that Jesus died for me and now I pick up my cross and follow Him. Responding to the Lord and to His Word. Then also rejoicing in the Lord. Verse 4 goes on to say this. It says, that When I go to the altar to God... My exceeding joy. That God is not only the source of joy, He Himself is joy. That when you have God, you have joy. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. When you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and God is with you and that fills you with joy. And it's important for God's Word to be the light and the truth to remind you that if God is your God, you have joy because you have God. To God, my exceeding joy. Not just joy, but exceeding, overwhelming, abundant, all-sufficient joy. Even when you don't have happiness, if you have God, you have joy even if your life makes you unhappy. If you have God, you have joy. Upon the lyre, upon the, the harp, the stringed instruments, the guitar, the piano, or the, just even my voice, I shall praise you, O oh God, my God. The psalmist has gone, uh, gone from saying, God... I feel like you've rejected me. But when your truth and your word speaks to my soul, it reminds me that you have sacrificed your son for me on the altar. It reminds me that my response is to lay down my life for you and then respond with rejoicing and praise. Rejoicing in the Lord. The late Baptist preacher W.A. Criswell said this, When our trials come, 
when we feel pain and suffering, when our tears flow again, it is our joy and comfort. It is our joy and comfort to lift our faces heavenward and to go on, standing on the promises of God. When the pain comes, once again, it is our joy in our comfort, to lift our faces heavenward, stand on the promises of God. Oh God, send forth your light and your truth. The revealed word of God. The voice of our Lord. The other night, Kylie needed to go downstairs to get something, and I was not at home, which then presented a problem because typically she's scared to go downstairs by herself she either wants me to go with her or at least stand at the top of the stairs while she goes down and it brings her comfort. But I was not home that night. You know what she did? She got on the phone and called me. Daddy, I'm going downstairs. I need you to talk to me. And so as she went downstairs and got what she needed and came back upstairs, she's like, okay, I'm upstairs now. Love you, bye. There's just something about the voice of her father. That brought her courage in the midst of a scary situation. Same thing applies for us. We need the voice of our Father. Where do we find that? Folks, we find it right here. The revealed Word of God. We call for direction. Finally, we come to a decision. We move from knowledge to action. We move from having the truth in our head to having the truth in our hearts. You see, it's one thing to know what we're supposed to do. It's another thing altogether differently to actually do it. The psalmist is then saying, we need to come to a decision. We need to move on what we know to be true. We find that in verse 5. We need to recalibrate our spirit. Recalibrate. You know, whenever I was in college, I worked at Lowe's in Lexington. I worked in the paint department, and we had this machine there, and I thought it was cutting edge back then. I'm sure today's technology blows it away, but we had this machine. Somebody could bring in a, a particular color and say, I want paint to match this. And we could put it up to the computer, and it would take this, this picture, this image, and it would spit out a formula. And that formula would supposedly match the color. And most of the time, it worked. Now, sometimes... It was supposed to be pink, and it came out brown. Sometimes that was user-operator error. <laughs> but sometimes the machine would be off. You'd have to recalibrate it. You'd have to reboot it. It wasn't seeing the right way. The results were coming out wrong because it was not seeing properly. You had to recalibrate it. Once you recalibrated it, it saw properly, and it gave you the proper formula. In life, sometimes we need to recalibrate our spirits. We need to recalibrate our souls. The psalmist is doing that here in verse 5. He says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? It's almost as if he's saying, Knock it off! Stop it! Why are you doing this? Martin Lloyd-Jones said the fundamental problem of so many modern Christians is that we listen to ourselves instead of preach to ourselves. 
We find ourselves in a, in, a, in a dark time and our emotions are speaking to us and we're listening. We're buying into what our feelings are trying to sell us. And Lloyd-Jones says the problem is we're, we're listening to ourselves and we're not preaching to ourselves. And the psalmist is doing it. He's, why are you in despair, my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Knock it off. Preaching to ourselves. Reminding ourselves of His truth that recalibrates our spirits once again. And then we retreat. Retreat to your Savior. Verse 5. Why are you in despair of my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God. Find comfort and stability in the rock that is in Christ Jesus. For I shall again praise Him. Being revived through fellowship with Christ. Hope in God. I shall again praise Him. Being certain. Being sure. That's what hope is. It's not a wish. It's confidence. Because of what Christ has already done for me, and because of what Christ is going to do for me, Christ right now is acting in my behalf. He's interceding for me. I need to be reminded. I need to be recalibrated of who He is, what He has done, and then let that truth speak into my situation and my emotions and my feelings. Let them follow suit. Retreat to your Savior and then finally receive your salvation. Receive the help you need. He says, the help of my countenance, my faith, my, my, my face, my appearance, being downcast in the soul has an effect on the face. He says, God, revive my spirit, revive my soul, and then lift up my face. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will truly show it. The psalmist says, you are the help of my countenance and you're my God. He has a personal relationship with God. And because of his personal relationship with God, God is there. He is the help. He is the lifter of his countenance. The one who lifts his face wipes the tears from his eyes. And I love the fact that the psalm ends on a positive note. The question I have today, will you end on a positive note? When your life on earth is done, will your life end on a positive note? Will God lift your countenance? We read in, in uh, Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth, the first heaven, the first earth passed away. There was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain. 
The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. God, send forth your light and your truth. God says, My word is faithful and true. The psalmist ends on a good note. Revelation says, Your life can end on a good note. But only if you have a personal relationship with God through Christ Jesus. And I love the way the psalm encapsulates the gospel. In the first few verses, there's desperation. There's a recognition that something's wrong. Sin sickness. Secondly, there is a a call for direction. God, I need your word. I need the gospel. I need your truth. And flowing from this desperation, here comes the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And then finally, there's a decision. There's a response. I will no longer be cast down in my sin sickness. I will put my hope in God. I will trust in Jesus Christ. I will have my countenance lifted by the assurance that I am saved. Sin sickness, the gospel conversion. The psalmist found it. My hope and my prayer that every single one of us will find that same salvation, that same power, that you and I will seek supernatural strength for sorrows. We all need Jesus Christ. Believers, we still need Jesus. Christ is sufficient. Let us pray. Oh Lord, how we do need you. The lost person needs you, God.